Happy Halloween! I wanted to bring you all a spooky treat for the season. So, for today's episode of In Defense of Fandom, we're talking costuming. Specifically, my conversation with Gotham Knights costume designer, Jennifer May Nickel. Jennifer and I met at this year's San Diego Comic-Con, but it was only this month that I was finally able to schedule an interview with her to ask all about how she got into costuming, her work on the show, and getting thrown into the world of SPN fandom with Misha Collins fans. I've gone ahead and just included our full conversation here for your listening pleasure. So, enjoy! Okay, so... I mean, the first obvious question is, I would like you to introduce yourself, name and occupation, I guess. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jennifer May Nickel, and I'm a costume designer for film and television. Which is such a cool career path that I never would have thought of. How did you even get started in this? I didn't know it was a career path either um, until some professors in undergrad saw my notebook drawings of different you know, clothing designs and stuff during my theater classes. So they suggested that I give it a whirl and it turned out I was good at it. And then they suggested you should go to grad school for this. (laughs) So for my remainder of my time there in undergrad, they kind of tailored little things for me to kind of make my own little program out of it. And then, uh, applied for grad school and went and got my master's degree. So awesome. Where did, where did you get your master's? Uh, Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Nice. Pittsburgh's a cool town, right? You know, I think people yeah. like to make fun of it. It's got some cool stuff going on. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I originally grew up in Pittsburgh and then moved away for undergrad, but it's an amazing, amazing school, especially for costume design. It's one of the best. And so I was like, at least I get to, you know, be around family in grad school and I got a really good scholarship. So, <laughs> oh yeah, that definitely helps. Like grad school is not cheap. <laughs> yeah. And the cost of living in Pittsburgh is way better than like New York city and going to NYU. <laughs> yeah. Wait. So then were you like, were you the nerd for Halloween that had like the most elaborate Halloween costumes or were you going to no. run fairs? <laughs> Because the common misconception with costume designers is that they love Halloween and um and make their own stuff for it. And it's kind of funny in the way of us costume designers, we like making stuff for everybody else. But most of my friends and I don't love Halloween. And hilariously, it is my husband's favorite, absolute favorite holiday. And He has been begging me for our entire 18-year relationship to make him a two-face costume. (laughs) (laughs) Literally made one professionally. I was going to say, well, you have practice now, I guess. I still haven't made him one. (laughs) You should do it as a couple's costume and each of you are half of two-face and it would be really awkward. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, we should talk about the the last project you worked on, which is Gotham Knights, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. So what was that like? Like, how did you, how do you even get these kinds of jobs? Because I can understand, like, I can understand this is a career path and then you go to Hollywood and dot, 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 find job. Yeah. Most of it is word of mouth. <laughs> it is 
mostly all based on recommendations and people you've worked with before from other departments throwing your name in a hat and hoping for the best. And that was the same way with Gotham Knights. Our producing director was also a producing director on Legacies. And so we worked together. And before he even got the job, he, you know, put my hat in the ring for costume designing. And <laughs> luckily we both got on it. <laughs> like, perfect. And I will also come. I mean, it must have been really exciting to work on like a, a, a Batman property, right? Because it's so iconic and there have been so many iterations. There's like a lot of room to play with and still do something yes. unique. Yes. And luckily, my favorite iterations were also where James and Chad wanted to go with the show. And so I was able to easily like we we were all on that same page together. Were you like a comic book nerd before? Like, had you read the comics that they were pulling from? Yes. Yeah, I had. And The Long Halloween is forever one of just my absolute favorite comics. And so it, yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're like I get to do this? Really? You're going to pay me for this? <laughs> yes. Yeah. When Jeff, the producing director, I was like, what's the show? And he was like, um, it's Gotham Knights. And while I did not know exactly what the show was going to be about, because it was all just, you know, rumors at that point, I just heard the word Gotham and I freaked out. <laughs> You're like, great. Here's my stack of drawings. I'm ready. <laughs> like, let's do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then once you did get hired on this project, like what was... Was it mostly designing the look, working with whoever's doing like background? Like, how do you even start? Because you need everything to work together. Like you need to know who the actors are as well as what the set's going to look like and what the tone's going to be, right? That all has to match. Yeah. And while <laughs> I kind of started on the idea level before I was even started on the show technically, and it made it easy that I was able to talk to Chad and James and then, you know, also Natalie about their thoughts and inspiration and ideas for the show and the look. And while I was marinating on ideas, the production designer was marinating on ideas and the, you know, DP was marinating on ideas and we we're very lucky that we were all marinating on the same page. None of it was when I was watching some of the Batman movies again recently. There are even just on the movie end so many different ways you can go. And luckily, we were all very much on the like Keaton Nolan end of things. And that was just where all of us went together. But it would have been kind of hilarious if um one of one of us was really gung-ho on <laughs> the Schumacher end <laughs> just came in with that instead that would be a Which, very I still one. love the Schumacher movies as much as everyone puts them down it, it's a different world and but I still love it because we were in this like void at the time and you know, it's just fun and campy in a very yeah. way. You can't look at it. You can't compare that in the Dark Knight 
together. They're just not the same. And I mean, so. like the Batman comics have done that too, right? They've gone yeah, all the way from the absurd exactly. camp world, yes. like Adam West style, yeah. to the really dark and gritty, the Miller, yeah. you know. You know, like intense. Frank Miller is very different. You can have oh. all the kinds and you can appreciate all of the different kinds. But we need we need only one kind when we make a show, please. <laughs> no yes. flaming yes. back cars. I, I'm very sorry. You don't need all all the ingredients there all at once. So so when you start working on this show, I mean, I am sure you're aware as soon as Misha Collins got cast as Harvey Dent, did you know the fandom that was gonna get no. brought along for the ride? No. Like I knew there was a supernatural fandom because I have friends who love supernatural and have called themselves supernatural fans <laughs> did i know <laughs> what it entailed uh, other than there's an intensity to it did i know that misha was his own like sector <laughs> like, no i just i had no idea <laughs> like i've said this a few times on twitter but i still feel like i'm learning and i don't know if i'll ever know fully. And I'm okay with that. I feel like I don't fully need to know. I'm happy to be a little ignorant. It's okay. It's okay. You don't need to know all the dark corners. It's fine. <laughs> I just want to, I want to stay a sweet, innocent, naive, like baby. Like, oh, it's so nice. So many people seem excited. <laughs> Leave it at that. Yeah. Did you start I, getting a lot uh, more people like interacting online with you? Because like, it, it was when fandom. I first posted about the ties. It just went, it blew up and I was not prepared. And I feel like he and his people need to have a sit down with the people he works with at the beginning of projects and say, okay, guys, this is what you're in for. This is what this means. This is that, uh, don't do this. Um, <laughs> like, I just wish we had a Okay, you're working with Misha 101. Yes, I think I'm I think people should get that. You're not the only one. I interviewed the head of family business beer company who is brother-in-law with Jensen. And mm -hmm. so, and he was also on Supernatural. And I was talking, I was like, so is it hard to like be associated with celebrities? Like, no, it's really great. Except for like every once in a while, Jensen will say, like, I'll see you guys at the brewery. And all of a sudden we have lines going out the door. I was like, oh no. <laughs> He was like, yeah, and then our systems will crash and we look really unprofessional and we're not. We just didn't ask Jensen to do that. We have to take his phone away now. And I was like, oh yeah, no, this, there needs to be a training guide for like, be warned, fandom is intense. <laughs> yeah. And if your phone blows up, they, there's probably, it, it was probably Misha and it's okay. It's a good thing. Not a bad thing. <laughs> You're like, am I being doxxed? Oh no. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. Well, okay, so I do want to talk more about the design for Gotham Knights and how you approach designing for both these characters, but also the actors that are all going to be portraying these characters because, you know, everybody's got different body types and different features yeah. you might try to accent. Like, how do you go about thinking about those aspects? With that, because I start as well as the showrunners start way before the actors start, you know, we definitely go in with an idea. We have boards. Uh, of ideas that myself, my assistant costume designer, Marisa, like we bring ideas together. We kind of jump off of points of things that the showrunners would mention and pull ideas together. 
kind of call through it with them. And then, then when the actors are fully on board and able to start work, we have like protocols that we have to, <laughs> even though we know who the person is, we can't just go contact them. <laughs> so then once we're allowed to contact them about the show, having a phone call with them, talking over more of those ideas. I don't always like to send my boards to them right away in case there is something that they really want to see within the character that myself or the showrunners didn't know about before. And I don't want to put something on there that I haven't been able to talk them through first because sometimes people can see one thing and have their own interpretation of it and think that you're meaning one thing when you actually mean a whole other thing with it. And so I like to have a chat with the actors first and then update the board accordingly, make sure you know showrunners are good with it too. And then usually I'll do a follow-up phone call or even uh, initial fitting with them where we talk over the boards, I do their measurements, things of that nature. That's when you have time. That's not always possible. There are times where <laughs> they're cast the day before they work, they're flying in, and I'm like, here's your inspiration. <laughs> I made you a Pinterest. I don't know. We also, here's all the clothes, so hope you're good with it. Like we have a lot of safety pins and duct tape and we're just gonna, we're gonna work it from there. Luckily, usually that's not too often the case more. It's, you're just hoping and praying that they see the character the same way you all have seen it before too. And that they don't have a completely different idea that you don't have present and it goes on screen in hours or the next day. That's always the, like, I hope we're on the same page. <laughs> it, luckily, for Gotham Knights, we all very much were. It's rare that it happens, but every once in a while, you get a surprise. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. How much of the costuming is pre-made things that you're customizing versus, like, totally custom-made? It often depends on the amount of time that you have before the actor goes on screen and from when they've been cast. I love and enjoy custom making costumes for the characters as much as humanly possible because we get to get it exactly as we want it. And that's not always possible in store. But like for uh, Rebecca March in episode 103, we were going to custom make her gown for the gala. I had drawings of it ready to go, everything, but the casting process took a little longer to seal the contract and all of that. So there wasn't time <laughs> between her being cast and then going on screen for us to make that. But when she came in and we got all of her measurements and everything, then, you know, everything else from there on out was custom made. <laughs> right. You're like, we got it for the rest of the season. It was just yeah. the early one. Didn't nail what we were putting yeah. on. But what we were able to find, thank God, some you know, we had three really stellar options out of the things that we were able to get in just 
a very hot minute. So it was good. <laughs> we were happy with it. Are you just hunting every Goodwill thrift shop in LA or do you have access to like back catalogs of everything from the production company has ever done in the last 10 years? Not, well, it, it depends on the show. So with Gotham Knights, we were filming in Atlanta and because of the time difference and also the contracts and stuff we were under, we we weren't hiring anyone in LA for shopping and pulling a lot of like the majority of shows that shoot out of town do have someone at least here and there as a day player to pull from rental houses or shop the stores in Los Angeles. Here in LA, all of the major studios have costume departments where you can go in, pull costumes, rent them for your production and they get chipped on out to you <laughs> or you're pulling them for productions here in LA too. But in Atlanta, we don't have that. There are a few very small rental places, but they don't have a plethora of stuff. And a lot of it there is scouring online stores, scouring the in, in-person stores, and also again, custom making a lot of what's going on screen. Dang. Yeah. Because there's not like, it's not Hollywood, right? Like even though so much yes. is filming in Atlanta these days, it still doesn't have the rest of the industry it built the around it. Structure that we have here in LA. Yeah. And yeah. even New York is better in that kind of way. Cause there's also more rental houses, but even in Chicago, I've, cause I did a project there way back when, and there were a few there were a few rental places there that I could utilize. They didn't have a lot, but there's a few. It's more of a theater scene, stand-up yeah, scene exactly. in Chicago than like a traditional movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel Atlanta's more of that way rental house-wise, but you can't really, yeah, can't get too much. So it's more uniforms or period elements, which was helpful at points in the show when we were doing the court of vows if they if the costume wasn't going to have anything bad happen to it we were able to rent period clothing from cali collections as well as using my kit and also scouring vintage stores and thrift stores all around yeah you had a lot of like really interesting vintage like clear references it's very noticeable in the court of owls not so much when you're spending time with the kids you know the bat the bat brats partially because like they wouldn't wear that kind of stuff they would actually but they always had to have multiples and that's where you can't do vintage right right they're like and then i'm going to stab you and slice through your jacket you're like nope yeah yeah and oh the, this person needs to be on a wire oh they throw a punch so they need to be stunt doubled. Yeah. What do you, yeah. So if you do have like the acid throwing scene that creates, you know, two mm-hmm. phase, like, do you have like multiples that are as yes. close to identical as you can get? And you just got to, yes. oh my gosh. And that's why it was me working on them in my like place down in Atlanta over the weekend. <laughs> like, I know exactly how this has to be done and they need to match. So just let me, let me spend an afternoon on this or a day on this. <laughs> Yeah, because the multiples had to be done. The schedule changed at the last second. And it was like, okay, all right. I, okay, I'm doing it. 
So when you actually are using real vintage pieces, do they have very specific contracts that are like, please no fake blood, no squibs? Yes. Yeah, you can't. We we only managed to ruin one vintage piece and that was a very accidental instance. And it was actually Irina's dress, which not Irina's fault. I just want to say that for anyone in the fandom listening, Irina is the most amazing background artist you can have on your show and wonderful, very responsible. It was the location change that ruined her dress. And I had worried about it. And I was like, oh, well, but she looks so amazing in the dress. I'm sure it'll be fine. No. Nope. <laughs> we tried everything on God's green earth to uh, get the soot out of her dress. And there, I mean, if me and my team cannot find a solution, there is not a damn thing to be done. I was going to say, you probably know the most number of like stain removal techniques. Yeah. I mean, and like between all of us together, it is just the wealth of knowledge, everything. And so uh, we had to offer up a few replacements that we found while vintage shopping. And luckily they were good ones, but, uh, and we were able to save the little fur pieces that were on it to give back to the company. Like those didn't get ruined so they can live on and go on something else. It was the polyester that would not let go of the, however it was treated, it would not let go. Oh. So wait, do you have to be on set or have someone from your team on set to like, oh no, a, like a button popped off the shirt yeah. or something like to do these small fixes? Yeah. So I can't always be there and thank God because <laughs> that would, I don't know how I would get anything else done. Um, we have, we have a full team for just being on set. Uh, so on set costumers, we have our costume truck that we have our own truck key costumer. Some places call it truck supervisors, some call it key truck, some just call it truck costumer, but that is like the one person who is the go-to for basically intaking the costumes that are finished from my end in the costume shop end, taking it onto the truck, categorizing it, inventorying it, making sure tags are off, stickers are off, all of that stuff. And then prepping it to go into the actor's dressing room for them to get in it. And then from there, once they're in the costume, the set costumers take over. They make sure they're ready to go there, make sure that if for some reason I can't be there to establish the costume and for some reason Marisa can't be there, if I can't be there, that they're taking photos, they're sending me and Marisa, okay, this is what it looks like on. Is there anything you want differently? Do I need to roll a sleeve different? Like a lot, of, there were a lot of tie photos <laughs> to make sure they got my wackiest tie knots right. And, uh, and the pins, I'm very... I'm extremely anal retentive. <laughs> so there were a lot of um, photos to make sure they got the pin or tie tag, like placement, tie bar placement, just where I wanted it. And so, 
they'll send me those. And then when they're on set, they take continuity photos, they make continuity notes so that from scene to scene to scene, because we don't film in order, that everything will match up, whether we're filming it a day later or months later as a pickup or insert shot. So they're, they take care of everything. If the button pops off, it, you know, it complicated alterations, it'll need to get sent back to the office or have someone come over <laughs> for a, an emergency repair, which definitely that happens every once in a while. And sometimes luckily we'll just, we have a multiple anyway, but because we weren't supposed to need you yeah. <laughs> and it was a made to order item. So it, it just depends, but they'll, they'll fix things on the fly. And yeah, if a stain happens on the fly there, there's a whole toolkit right there on set, <laughs> ready to take care of it. That's a, I mean, like something I'd never thought about was even if you have like the, the costume ready to go on the rack, it's like, no, 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 but I need the sleeves rolled exactly this way. It's like, oh, yeah. I never even thought about that. But I also wanted to ask from your point of view, is it harder to do the really statuesque, fancy clothing like the marches wear, or, or is it more difficult to do clothing that are going to be needed for action shots, you know, like the executioners, right? When you did the whole series. Oh, yeah. Like, which ones are more difficult to work on? I see them as all the same to me because they all at some point will have some action some level of pristineness they they just all have their different elements and i love that i get to do all of it because i enjoy the variety and i get to work every part of my brain instead of just one when you were designing the talons did you have to think about using different materials than you yes. would for something that's more like a party scene because you need something that'll yes. flex better i guess mm -hmm. yeah with the talons it's something that both has structure but also flexibility to it. Something that's going to hold up for a long time because the the pieces are very complicated and custom made. And so we can't be replacing them every single episode. They need to stand up over multiple episodes. And so you think of that differently than some of Rebecca's dresses, but in the end, I was able to meld some of the same elements together, but to show the audience, this is the Talon's way, but this is Rebecca's way of wearing very similar things. Right. And so has the owlish elements to it. Yeah. Yeah. So are there like, are there different outfits for the Talon stunt doubles who, you know, are going to like need to take a hit repeatedly versus the more like intro shot, which is supposed to be more detailed or is it all the same? For, for the Talons, it's all the same. Sometimes on certain other shows or depending on what it is, there will be lesser things or it will be constructed differently. But because the Talons were you know, worn by stunt doubles the entire time that we were able to construct it with that in mind. That's awesome. I mean, that makes it easier on your part. You're like, no, they're supposed to look kind of beat up and like just keeps going, even though yeah. it keeps taking hit. Yeah. I'm still thinking of the talent because I loved all the historical elements that you got to incorporate into that. Have you done like a lot of, you know, historical research trying to fit that kind of 
like, is it neo-Gothic? Is it, it's not art deco, but it kind of is. I, I took a few elements from a little bit of everything over the last basically 120 some years. I, I started in the 1900s and there's, there's World War One elements in there. There's definitely a lot of World War II elements. It's taking the different you know, battle, <laughs> battle elements across different timelines and bringing them all together. Yeah, because you want this to be like a militaristic look. So it's like, great, yeah. what are the uniforms from all of the last hundred years of wars? And there's also an element of science and wealth <laughs> in the way of it's not just your basic military uniform it is these are wealthy people making this happen and there is for a while they only thought the one they thought they were more but like Rebecca is also a practicalist of I have all this money I'm also a busy lady. I'm not going to be like retooling this every damn time something happens to one of them. I want it to last. I want it to be good. And so there's also a little technology to it. You know, there are things that it just has that regular military person or even, you know, officer of some sort wouldn't have. Right. They're not just grunts. They've got some kinds of, of armor protection or design that is a little bit more high tech than you would expect from that era kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's trying to meld a bunch of different ideas together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and show the history at the same time. Oh man, that's so cool. I love bringing all those historical elements in because you feel clever when you catch them yourself and they're like, oh, but I bet there's so much I don't notice that are, are fun you know, sneak peeks. Okay. Well then I'm going to ask the obvious question, which is like, what was your favorite costume to work on in the show? I don't have just one and that's just me in general. <laughs> um, in the way that I love all my babies. <laughs> and also if you ask me week to week, it just depends on the mood I'm in. <laughs> like I worked very hard on all of them and I want you to respect and know that. <laughs> You know, there's moments where I'm like, oh, I love like what we got to do for Two-Face so much. I love where that came. But then I love everything I got to do for Duella. And then it's like, oh, but Robin's costume, the fact that I got to costume design Robin and the cool things that we got to make for her. And I really got to get into that character in a beautiful way. And it is this whole just realm of different things that I love. I will say that if I had to pick like a overall muse on the show, it would be Rebecca March because I the richness of character there, but also with the way that Lauren brought grace and poise to it. My ideas, I could... Everyone joked that we could have done a fashion show just for her. I need to have a coffee table book just yes. stuff because so many designs that, you know, no one ever saw just because I had so many ideas with her. It, it was just easy for me. Yeah. She was, it was very easy to be inspired to be like, oh, and then like, this is her more sciencey look and this is her evening look. And let me just 
yeah. design um, all of the costumes. Not to say I didn't feel that way about the other characters. It was just like something in my brain, like the the cogs just went together in an extra special way there. Well, did uh did you happen to walk off with any any pieces that you just couldn't bear to part with? I was able to buy a few things back once the show was canceled. I I had a list of things that I wanted to buy and sadly I was not able to buy the majority of them. It, Warner Brothers wanted those things back, but I was able to buy a few things and since Rebecca had been killed off the show, uh I'm very thankful that those were some of them. So you get to you get to save some of those special pieces. That's you. I mean not like, not all of them, just a few. Yeah. I hear many stories where people are like, I would love this, but Warner Bros. took all of it. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll see it again someday. I don't know. <laughs> and especially because Oksana constructed her clothes, that it means a lot to me that I was able to, if nothing else, have some of those. So. Right. To keep a piece of that memory. And yeah. yeah, that's really important. Yeah. Well, I know we're we're running up on time. Are there, is there anything I didn't get to ask you about working on Gotham Knights that was surprising to you or that you like to share? Like, is there any burning question that you've always had? Mm. Who was the messiest with returning their costumes? <laughs> I, I'm not gonna <laughs> throw someone under the bus for us, please. No. <laughs> <laughs> not um but I bet people could guess but <laughs> I bet people might guess someone just because of a fandom they would be wrong that would not be the person that would would have been the most <laughs> oh man yeah I was like <laughs> that's what people always want to they're like <laughs> like want to know the behind the scenes stories you know just in general, anyone who has a theater background, uh, actor-wise, they're very, they're usually very good at uh, tending to their costumes and hanging them up when they're done and being very particular about how it comes back to us, which we love. We love the actors who <laughs> hang their clothes and don't leave their underwear on the floor for us to pick up. Yeah, please and thank you. <laughs> and if that underwear isn't clean, we appreciate it but they don't give it back to us. Do you actually have to give like underwear to then match their costumes sometimes because of just yeah. like, yeah. Oh, if you're wearing like a white dress or something, you can't be wearing polka dots or something. Exactly. Yes. Fair enough. A thing I also had never thought about. <laughs> and sometimes some actors prefer to, some actors prefer to wear their own undergarments when possible. Other actors like to completely take off their own personal items and be able to fully step into the character. So it, it depends on the actor's process and comfort level. Some people, it helps them get into character. Some people would rather have the, the comfort of their own items. And even, even if we go and buy them the exact same thing, they're like, yeah, but it's mine. And I just want to, I want to keep that. <laughs> Right. This okay. is this is me. I'm not yeah. <laughs> whoever yeah. this character is. Oh, yeah. So it just depends on the actor and how they prep for it. But I I respect all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, are you working on any new projects or are you just you're supporting the SAG strike and waiting to see how everything shakes out? Yes, <laughs> supporting the SAG strike. I'm very, very grateful that the studios finally negotiated with the writers and that my husband is back to work again. It's a relief. But yeah, so just trying to get some things ready to go <laughs> for once. <laughs> Think it's uh, full speed ahead. You know that it'll be as soon as uh, as soon as SAG gets a fair deal from the studios, however long that takes. Once that happens, it'll be really fast and furious for people. So, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So it's like, yes, let me build my portfolio and some fun ideas now while I have time. Yeah. I will and not. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm excitedly I wish like the class hadn't started this late in the game because I was trying to take things over this summer, but I I'm starting a class on Friday night just to keep my costume illustrations fresh and good. So I'm excited for that and taking it with some industry friends. So it'll be fun. Oh, that sounds super fun. I'm kind of jealous. I'll just, yeah. I'll meet you every Friday. It's fine. The flight exactly. from Chicago is easy. <laughs> Works out great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. This You're has so been much. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm All glad fun. we finally got to do it too. I hope you all have a lovely Halloween. Make sure to check the show notes for this episode to learn more about where to stream Gotham Knights, see some incredible neckties worn by Misha Collins' Two-Face, and follow Jennifer on all the socials. Editorial support was provided by Dr. Anna Funk. Music was composed and performed by Chris Scott cover art was designed by Liz Hand. Thanks to One Crafty Chickadee, Ditch Lily Tiger, Wayward Photographer, Meg, Rupert Gaze, Danny, and Marissa for supporting the show through Kofi. In Defense of Fandom was made possible through an unhealthy obsession and your support via Kofi. If you're not already supporting the show and you'd like to, you can find a link in the show notes to our Kofi. Your support is deeply appreciated. Oh, and don't forget, if you donate any amount to the Kofi, you'll get access to some of the full raw interviews conducted during this season. The conversation with Rachel Miner is already out, as are the full interviews with Billy Moran and Steve Norton of Loud and Swain. Mm-hmm.